Hey, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Hope Community Podcast. It's another flashback episode. Check it out. So for the last few weeks, we have been talking about things Jesus never said. It's, it's been our series for the last few weeks, and uh, we got one more week. This is our uh, next to last one. And uh, when I was putting stuff together, you know, over the last few weeks, and this week was coming up, I was trying to find the right way to say uh, what we were going to talk about. So I'm just going to go for it, and uh, we'll see how it happens, all right? Um, so we've talked about, um, did Jesus uh, say there was ever anything that could make the Father so angry with us that he would never have anything to do with us? We talked about, did Jesus ever uh, say that we couldn't take care of ourselves? And then we talked about last week about, did Jesus say that we were supposed to put all our focus on the, the next life or in heaven, or were we supposed to, you know, care about now? And we found out that Jesus didn't say any of those things, but he actually did say that the Father loves us unconditionally. Well, we found out that Jesus did say, uh, you should take care of yourself because we should love ourselves as we love our neighbors. We can never love our neighbors if we don't know how to love ourselves, and we can't love ourselves unless we know the love of the Father. So all those things work together. So it is, is a good thing to take care of yourself. And then, the, then last week we talked about how um, heaven is not only somewhere in the future when we pass from this life to the next, but heaven is actually now and it's residing inside of us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us and we're seated in heavenly places through Jesus at the right hand of the Father. We're connected with all three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're seated at His table and we're working together and He's perfecting us and making us like Christ. So... That in itself is heaven, and that's how we release the things of heaven to the earth. Because Jesus prayed, as in heaven, so it be on earth. So that's how we do that, our relationship with him. We release those things out. So we're not kind of waiting for something to happen in the future. We're not pawning it all off until then, but we're working and being perfected now and releasing those things now. And we sing the, the 80s love song. Heaven isn't too far away. I think there's another, another. what's the other? Heaven, um, uh, what is it? Ooh, baby, you know what it's worth. We'll make heaven a place on earth, right? Well, we can do that. I mean, that was kind of a cheesy love song, but we actually can make heaven on earth through our relationships. Relationship with our Father. Uh, we learn who we really are, and we share that relationship with others, and they are renewed, reborn, and changed by it, okay? So this week, this is what we're going to talk about. Did Jesus ever say, you owe me? Did he ever say, you owe me for what I did? Did he ever say that? A lot of people live like that. They live like they owe something, and the reason why they live like they owe something is, let's, be, let's just face it, we live in debt in this moment. Think about it. We owe taxes. Some of us own student loans. We have car payments, house payments, doctor's bills. And what does debt do? Debt puts stress on it, puts stress on us, puts stress on our health, on our relationships. Heavy debt can actually affect us to where we get sick and we, we feel enslaved. So not only are we feeling it, but right now in our culture, debt is actually big business. 
How many of you get phone calls all day, every day from solicitors? Right? You know, I get so many phone calls on my phone and now they pawn off other, they clone others' cell phone numbers. So you think maybe it's a number from Vienna or another, a number from Beverly or a number from somewhere else or it's a cell phone number and it's not. What happens when you answer it? <laughs> it's somebody trying to get some sort of money out of you. Debt is such big business that they actually create and imagine that you have debt. I get phone calls all the time that says, the warranty on your van is about to run out. You can renew it now. I'm like, my van's so old, it doesn't have a warranty. <laughs> I, another phone call that I get all, all the time, your credit card has been, stay, stay in the line for important news about your credit card. You have had perfect um, payment on your credit card, and I'm waiting to get to the operator because I want to say, I do not have a credit card. I'm like, they're trying to add debt that I don't even have. But it becomes overwhelming, right? And any moment when we ever get in a, in, into a pinch or we get into something where we are behind on something or something's coming up and we don't have enough for it, the fear of debt is crippling. And for some reason, we carry that over into our relationship with Jesus. We carry that over into the good news. And you don't know how many times I have heard growing up, many people say, Jesus died for him, what are you going to do for him? I don't know how many missions conferences or missionaries have come and preached a hellfire and brimstone message and about people just needing somebody and then they get in your face and say, Jesus died for you. What are you going to do for him? I remember being at huge youth conferences in Cincinnati and Cleveland, uh, in Atlanta and other places, and th that was the big spill. And then, they, then, you, then you had to stand up and scream, I want the cross. And it was a big emotional moment. But... Is that what Jesus actually wants? Is it good news that Jesus says you owe me everything because of the cross? Is that good news? In Luke 4, 16 through 21, and I apologize for uh, this. I had all these nice slides set up and had everything ready, and then I got here and none of them worked. They would not transfer whatsoever. So what I'm going to do is I'll have these scriptures posted, and I had a couple notes too. Oh, that was really good, so I'll post all those on Facebook and on the website and on Instagram later so you can grab onto them, okay? Because there's some good stuff here. But Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. If you don't have the Passion Translation, that's all right. You can just listen to what I have to say, and trust me. Uh, if you have your phone and you have version downloaded, Passion Translation is in there, so you can follow along on there if you want. Um, the Passion Translation is just a modern translation, and it's just really good. So... Here we go. Verse 16 of chapter 4 of Luke. It says, When he came to Nazareth, uh, where he had been raised, he went into the synagogue, as he always did, on the Sabbath day. And when Jesus came uh, to the front to read the scriptures, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he unrolled the scroll and read it where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners... You are set free. Everybody say that with me. You are set free. It says, I have come to share the message of Jubilee. Everybody say Jubilee. Uh, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. And after he read this 
Uh, after, he, after this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the minister, and sat down. Everyone stared at Jesus, wondering what he, had, what he was about to say. And then he added, these scriptures come true today in front of you. So, Jesus declared that he came to set captives free, to bring sozo, to bring healing, to set prisoners free, to open the eyes of the blind. And then he declared that it was jubilee, that he was jubilee. It's really interesting. You ever read that scripture and, and you read it and, and they, didn't, they weren't really looking at him until he sat down? You ever wonder, Jesus sat down and then they were waiting for him to say something else. But somebody always got up and read from scripture. Somebody always read something. The person who was handed the scroll was, was read something and they read it and then they sat down. But these people were waiting for him to say something. So that means, well, if he sat down and they were still looking at him, where did he sit down? And normally in a synagogue, what they had was there was a seat that was reserved for the Messiah. So when Jesus finished reading the scroll from Isaiah and declared that he came to set captives free, to bring healing, to open blind eyes, and then he said it was now jubilee, he sat down in the Messiah's chair. So that's why everybody was like, what? And then he made the statement, today these scriptures are now fulfilled. I'm bringing these scriptures to life. So what is jubilee? What was jubilee? In Leviticus chapter 25, starting with verse 8, this is from the New American Standard, it says, you are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths years, namely 49 years. Then shall the sound of a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family, and you shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather from its untrimmed vines, for it is jubilee. It shall be, a, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its cross out of the field on this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. So Jubilee was the 50th year. They rested, but something else happened. Everybody went back to where they, become, they came from. They went back to their original status. All debt was forgiven. All land and property that was taken from you was returned to you. No questions asked. Nothing owned, no shame, no guilt. It was jubilee. It was a party. Jesus comes in and he declares to the world in this moment that we are set free. He came to share the message of jubilee. The time of God's great acceptance has come. So, Jesus was saying, I'm coming to uh, set you free, open your eyes, and bring healing. I'm coming to bring you back to your original state, the state where you were created in his image. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. There's no shame. There's no doubt. And nothing's owed. He took care of it. 
So Jesus is our jubilee. Let's dig even deeper. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to stay in the Passion Translation. Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36. It says, Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. And Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, and she filled it with the most expensive perfume, and went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face, and she kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over she kissed Jesus' feet. And then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. And when Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. And Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher, I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. We've been talking about debt, right? One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answers, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? I love uh, the New American Standard, and I believe it's uh, King James and New King James. They always say, uh, it says, look here at this woman. He's trying to get his attention and, and say, you've been looking at her from the perspective of your view. But I want you to see her from the Father's view. Look here. He says, she is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears, then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home uh, with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head uh, with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has, she has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, All your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, Who is the one who can even forgive sins? And then Jesus said to, to the woman, Your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. So here's Jesus tackling this thought. Here's Jesus tackling this culture of debt. Because that's what the religious system had brought. A culture of debt. You owe everything to the system. And to get out from under this system that debt has brought, you have to do this and this and this. And here, all this woman did was come in and anoint his feet, cry, 
connect. It says that she put her faith in him. Something was happening here. She knew who Jesus was. She knew the words and the things that were said about him. And she wanted an encounter. And so she came for relationship. She came to know the one they called Jesus. And so she brought a gift. She brought oil, or she brought uh, fragrant oil, and she brought her tears. Thinking that these things would be good enough just to catch a glimpse of him and just to have some sort of acceptance. But Jesus looks past all of that and says, your sins are forgiven. Your desire for relationship is already my desire for you. So Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of heaven is a forgiving king who cancels the debt of his people. The question isn't, will the Father forgive? The question is, will you receive the free gift of forgiveness provided by Christ? When that woman walked through the door and she got at Jesus' feet, Simon wanted her to pay. What was the first thoughts out of her mouth? Does he not know who that woman is? Does she not know that, does he not know that she's a prostitute? She has to pay for what she's done. She just can't come into this room full of religious leaders. Can't come in here in front of the one who's supposed to be some prophet, some teacher, the one that others are called the Messiah. She can't just come and do that. She has to pay for it before she gets in here. It wasn't Simon that was thinking that. He wasn't the only one. The disciples were thinking that too. They felt like forgiveness should cost the one that's being forgiven something. Maybe even possibly their life. But Jesus simply said, you're forgiven. Now go live in the reality of that forgiveness. Go live in the ways of peace. The only way to know true peace is to know that you're forgiven. If you still think that, you're, that you owe some debt, there's no peace. Because every night you're going to lay awake thinking, how am I going to take care of this? And Jesus is saying, I've taken care of it. Now live in that forgiveness. Colossians 2. Starting with verse 14. It says... This is from the mirror translation. It says, His body nailed to the cross, hung there as a document of mankind's guilt. In dying our death, He canceled the detailed handwritten record which testified against us. Every stain of our, on our conscience, reminding of the sense of failure and guilt, was thus fully blotted out. In Him dying mankind's death, He diffused every possible claim of accusation against the human race and thus made a public spectacle of every rule and authority in God's brilliant triumph demonstrated in Him. The voice of the cross will never be silenced. Jesus took every stain 
everything in us that reminded us of failure and guilt. He took all of it and wiped it out, blotted it out. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist. But what do we do? We try to hold on to the thing that doesn't exist anymore. That's like being behind on your electric bill for two months and finally paying it off and you have the receipt. It's paid for. It's done. And you go, no, I still owe. No, it's paid for. No, you have a receipt. See it? It's right there. No, I, you still owe. It's like paying your car off. And because you love paying your car off so much, even though it's been paid for, you decide to keep paying I like doing that when I just give you some more money. You get your house finally paid off, it's taken care of, it's done, you have the deed, it's yours. And you, you're like, you know what, I, I, I like giving that money every month. I'm going to keep paying on that mortgage even though I don't owe it anymore. But that's what happens. Every accusation against us is gone. Not only is it gone, he openly mocked everything that once tried to rule over you. Everything that tried to shame you, everything that tried to put guilt and try to put debt and all of that on you. He made it a public spectacle. He mocked it, made fun of it and said, neener, 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 look what I'm going to do. The cross cannot be silenced. What happened at the cross, what took place there, what Jesus did cannot be silenced. It is louder than any debt. It is louder than any shame. It is louder than anything that would try to put you back in the position before you met Jesus. I love um, Francois Dutois, or Dutoy. That's how you say his name. I was pronouncing his name wrong. Dutoy. Uh, he has a statement about the cross. He says, the horror, of, the horror of the cross is now the eternal trophy, the constant reminder of God's triumph over sin. This horrible thing that took place to an innocent man 2,000 years ago, th- this horrible thing, this nightmare, is now an eternal trophy declaring victory over shame, guilt, and sin. The cross stripped religion of its authority to manipulate mankind with guilt. That's what religion does. Jesus has called you to a life of peace, a life of living knowing you're forgiven. So you can't be guilted back you can't be guilted back into living an indebted lifestyle. You're free. You're free. Don't go put the chains back on. Don't go back to who you used to be. You're free. Every accusation has lost its leverage to blackmail the human race with condemnation and shame. Everything that tells you that you're not good enough that you can't do this. Everything that tells you that you're not worthy of the Father's love. Everything that, everything that comes in your mind and tells you that I can never be good enough. All of that. Blackmail. All of it. Is gone. 
the word diffused or spoiled or he, he um, diffused or, or spoiled the plans that religion and other things uh, was bringing to you with shame. The word is apikdoame. Uh, um, it means, uh, it's translated from apo, which means away from, and ekadu, which means to be stripped of clothing, to disarm. So the religious facade that disguised the law of works as a means of defining a personal, personal life or a person's life was openly defeated at the cross. The law of works was defeated at the cross. There's nothing you can do to gain and earn this salvation. There's no steps you have to go through to earn forgiveness. You're forgiven. It's free. That same word is used in Colossians 3, 9, and 10. It says that old life was a lie. Foreign to our design. Those garments of disguise are now thoroughly stripped off of us in our understanding of our union with Christ in His death and resurrection. We are no longer obliged to live under the identity and rule of the robes we wore before. Neither are we cheating anyone through false pretensions. We stand fully identified in the new creation, renewed in knowledge according to the pattern of the exact image of our Creator. The clothes that we used to wear no longer fit. That's what Paul's saying. How you used to disguise yourself in that old you and who you used to think you are and your old identity, that doesn't fit anymore. And you've been given new Christ clothes. Do you have any Rowan's clothes in the bag? Anything in there? Uh-oh. It's about to get real here in a second. Look at this. This is my son Rowan's. See this? It's a, what is that, a jumper? A onesie? All right. Why don't you look at this? This baby onesie, which I think is 24 months old, is way too small for me. It's probably too small for Rowan at this point. And this represents the clothes that I used to wear pre-Jesus. Not natural clothes, but spiritually speaking. This, this is the old law of works that I used to put on. This is, the, this is the old me, my old identity. But I've been given Christ clothes, clothes that actually fit. If I try to put this on, what's going to happen? You're all going to laugh. It's going to be pretty awkward. It's going to be, if I can even get this over top of my fat head, it is going to be so uncomfortable that I'm actually going to get a headache. And if I leave it on my head long enough, what's going to happen is I'm going to get sick. It's going to cut off circulation, and I possibly could pass out. And then because I'm trying to put on old clothes that don't fit anymore, I'm possibly going to get depressed, stressed, and feel shame because I can't fit them anymore and not realize who I am in this moment, who I really am in Christ, identify with it, move in it, and wear the new clothes that he's given me. 
The old clothes represent debt, and that's what debt does. It makes you feel worthless. It makes you feel depressed. It stresses you out. And that's not living a life of peace. But Christ has come so you can live in a life of peace. So you can live forgiven. We stand fully identified in the new creation, renewed in the knowledge according to the pattern of the exact image of our creator. So the dominance of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a.k.a. hard work and labor, all of that ended in Christ. There is no hard work and labor when it comes to the forgiveness of the Father. We don't have to do anything. We're not on some Christian construction team out there trying to build a highway of holiness to get to them. <laughs> Sweat on our brow, our back breaking, just to, just to have some connection with Him. That's not how this works. Jesus, and we even read this last week, He made a way through the wilderness. He flattened the road so we could come as kings and queens and come boldly into His throne room. He brought an end to the law of works. We are free from all self-effort to attempt to approve, improve on what God has already perfected in Christ. Think about that for a second. When we try to work our way into grace and work our way into forgiveness and work our way into salvation, we're actually trying to perfect what Jesus did on the cross. We're actually trying to do more than Jesus. Jesus said what on the cross? Tell us die, right? Paid in full, taken care of, finished. How could we ever try to add to that? He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's how the message uh, translates verse 10. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants, he stripped religion. All of it, all the religion in the universe, he stripped it of its fake authority and marched them through the streets. Spiritual tyranny is defined as this. Look at me. Because I can do this better than you, then I have authority over you. That's why in religious systems, there's ladders that you have to go through to get higher up the system. Because this person can pray better than you, can read scripture better than you, can teach better than you, can be holier than you, so to speak, can sing better than you, can quote scripture better than you, can scream louder than you, can huh, louder than you. They climb the ladder faster. But because you wanted relationship and not some sham, then you're low man on the totem pole. Jesus came and knocked all that out. The religious ladder is nothing new. It was around when Jesus was alive, walking the streets. He destroyed the religious, the religious ladder at the cross. Why is there still a religious ladder today? Because we try to go back to who we used to be. We try to wear the old clothes. So here's the deal. Religion, the 
law of works, shame, regret, depression. None of that can stop the power of grace. None of that can stop you from living a grace-filled life. You don't owe Jesus anything for the free gift that he gave you. You now get to live in the benefits of that forgiveness and grace. You get to live in the benefits of forgiveness and grace. You're now a part of his kingdom. And his kingdom is a part of you. And you now walk in it. If you can grab that, then guess what happens? You live differently. What scares people about grace, forgiveness, salvation, being truly free, is they think that that's too good to be true. Because everything else in your life you have to work for to get anything. Everything in your life you have to have some sort of discipline to get somewhere. But when it comes to Jesus and forgiveness, there's nothing you have to do. You don't owe him anything. I am Michael Cox Sr.'s son. I am Michael Cox Jr. I did not do anything to become Michael Cox Jr. My father and mother created me. And I am a part of their family. I am my father's son. You and I are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Jesus came and opened our eyes to that. He's the one that showed us. He's the one that opened that all up to us. And then he said, watch this. And all the debt, all the shame, all the anguish, everything that we piled up on top of ourselves, that we used all this to separate ourselves, from the Father. He didn't separate himself from us. We separated ourselves from him. And it built up, and it built up, and it built up. And what he did was he took all of it onto himself and died on the cross. And when he died, all our shame, all our guilt, all the stupid stuff that we've done, all, our false identity all died on the cross. And it was buried in the ground when he was buried on the ground. But guess what? He rose again and brought to light our new identity brought to light our new life, and brought to light who we really are. And now we live from that. He opened the cages of all mankind. Now you can either walk in that freedom, or you can stay locked up in your self-imposed prison. When Jesus was talking to the woman... He, who came to anoint his feet with oil, he looked at her and basically was saying this, you can either stay in your prison 
or you can walk in the freedom that I bring. You can either stay in this state and wallow in shame and wallow in depression and keep doing these things because you don't know who you really are or you can grab a hold of the grace and the forgiveness that I'm offering right now in this moment. Step up and walk in peace. Be the new you. Be who you really are. That's what he was telling that lady. That's what he's telling all mankind now. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The goodness of God is leading men to a change of mind, to repentance. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. He's trying to do it through us with other people. He's trying to get us to tell people, hey, listen, there's nothing to this. You can't earn it. Just walk out of your cage. People all the time like, well, there's all this stuff. People do all this stuff. People all do all this stuff because they're still in their cage. Maybe you do stupid stuff. If you're doing stupid stuff, get out of the cage. I don't know how to get out of the cage. Just lean into the forgiving arms of the Father. Know that you're forgiven. Everyone else can call you all kinds of names. Everyone else can say you're this and that. There's no kids up here, so I can say this word. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. But you shouldn't call people this. But sometimes we feel like it. You're not a bastard. Is it all right to say that? I know that went out on Facebook. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. I'm trying to grab your attention. You're not a bastard anymore. Everyone else might call you that, but you're not. That's not who you are anymore. The Father calls you son. Everyone else might call you that word, but the Father calls you son. The Father calls you daughter. Now, you can either live under the old connotation of who you used to be, or you can step into who who Jesus calls you right now. And that is the Son of the Father. But I'm not perfect. Ain't nobody perfect. I just said ain't too. Wow. That's more offensive. Nobody's perfect. You're being perfected. Let me put it in Mickey's. If you feel like you're being dumb now, move forward and you'll be less dumb. If you're doing dumb stuff now, move forward and you'll do less dumb stuff. Doesn't mean you'll give up all the dumb stuff. You just quit doing some of the dumb stuff. That's kind of my mantra. (laughs) I can do less dumb stuff today than I did yesterday. Because I come to the realization of who I am in Jesus. I step more into his grace and more into his forgiveness. I still struggle with stuff. Everybody still struggles with stuff. I still struggle with my identity in the Father. There's sometimes when, when I'll just be honest with you, there's sometimes when there's just this depression that comes out of nowhere where you feel like you're not worth anything, that you're not moving anywhere, and it's, de- it's just debilitating to where you just kind of just sit there, and you can't even focus, you can't even move, and you feel like a failure. That happens to me too. It's not just you. I stress out. I, get, I deal with anxiety. I deal with junk too. And what happens when you're stressed and you're anxious and you got stuff going on? You make some bad decisions, right? Stuff flies out of your mouth that you don't want to. You, you end up doing something that you don't want to do. It, all, it happens to all of us. Let that be yesterday and make today different. That's, I, I fell for it last time. I fell into that old identity. I tried to put on those old clothes, and I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to do less stuff, less dumb stuff today than I did yesterday. 
because I'm not going back to that cage. I don't live there anymore. John 15, starting with uh, verse 15 in the mirror translation says, I do not communicate with you on a slave boss basis. Slaves have no clue what their master is about to do. I talk to you as my friends, telling you everything that I have heard in my conversation and intimate association with my father. This I will explain to you in the clearest possible terms. I did not begin in you. You began in me. I am not your idea. You are mine. I have strategically positioned you in order that you may abound in much fruit bearing wherever life leads you. Fruit that would necessarily... Uh, fruit that would necessarily continue this same incarnate life of union with me. From within this place, anything you desire has already been granted you by my Father. We're not servants. We're not slaves. He's not our boss. He's not some tyrannical king up in some space area in the north waiting to just pound us into oblivion. He's not waiting to put some heavy thing on us. No, he calls us friends. He calls us friends. And then he tells us one more time. He said, he's like, listen, me and the Father are one. Me and the Father are one. We're on, the, we're on close personal terms. And guess what? You're in those same close personal terms because of me. He strategically positioned us to abound in much fruit bearing. Because of the life of forgiveness that we can now walk in, what we produce is good stuff. So wait, you're telling me that I don't have to have a, a, a set of rules to live by to bear fruit. I don't have to have a set of rules to, to, to help me live better and be better. No, you don't. You just need to live a life of forgiveness. Live a life of a son. Live a life knowing that you're set free. You, you live in that freedom. Yes, you'll make mistakes, but you will bear much fruit. From this place, anything you desire has already been granted by the Father. He's already bringing the good to you. He's not keeping it from you. We're friends. We're not servants. Galatians 4, 7 says, Can you see how foolish it would be for a son to continue to live his life with a slave mentality? Your sonship, your daughtership, qualifies you to immediately participate in all the wealth of God's inheritance, which is yours because of Christ. All of the inheritance that the Father has is yours because of Christ. He's giving it freely, and it's foolish. He says, you're a fool if you try to go back and live as a slave. If you have tasted and have seen and experienced this salvation, this freedom, and you try to go back, you're a fool. Paul's bold like that. Why go back to the thing that enslaved you? You're free. You're free. It's foolish to live like we owe some debt. You're free.
is my last passage of scripture. I went a little too long last week, and I said I'd take it easy this week. <laughs> it's almost 12 o'clock. We're going to end right around 12. Matthew 11, starting with verse 27. It says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus in Matthew is revealing the Father's heart. The Father's heart is for you to know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now a normal yoke, a normal yoke, the weight is distributed between the two. Have you ever look at it like when you would yoke pair of oxen, you had two oxen, two oxes, and you have the, the, the wood that would go across their necks, and both of those oxen would bear the full weight of the wagon that it was pulling. But the father is revealing that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. In other words, you're not carrying the burden because someone else has the yoke. The person who has the yoke Jesus. Jesus is the one pulling us. Jesus is the one carrying us. The burden that's given to us is walking in our new identity. Walking in who we really are. And it's light because we didn't pay for that. Jesus did. Sometimes it's hard to take something that's free. Right? Because of pride. It's hard for us to take it sometimes. The Father's heart is listen, my yoke is easy. My son's carrying the This passage of scripture is, is painting a picture much like the picture that was painted all the way back when Abraham was sitting underneath a tree and Sarah was in the tent. And Abraham looked on top of the hill and saw these three guys walking towards him and instantly knew that there's something going on here. Instantly knew that these three guys were more than just three average strangers walking down the road. He tells Sarah to make him dinner. While she's making dinner, Abraham's sitting there talking to him, and they start to tell him the prophecy that he's going to have a son. And through his family line, the, the whole earth is going to be blessed. And of course, when Sarah heard that, she starts laughing, and Abraham's like, I'm old, my wife's old, what do you mean this is going to happen? And he's like, trust me. Later on, Abraham has an encounter with the father, and he says, I'm, Abraham, I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And the entire earth is going to be blessed through this picture of the covenant. 
instantly, Abraham is scared. He says he's terrified. Because Abraham knew what cutting covenant meant. Because cutting covenant wasn't something new. The pagan countries have been doing that forever. Covenant was one of blood. And they would cut animals in half. They cut animals half and, and the blood would go everywhere. And they normally drain the blood into a ditch. And then those who would come into covenant with one another would walk through the blood. And basically say, as this blood is shed, if I ever break this covenant with you, you can trample my blood. That's what cutting covenant was. And so now the father's looking at Abraham and saying, I'm cutting covenant with you. And he tells him to go get these animals. And they cut the animals up and the blood starts flowing into the trench. And Abraham is terrified. And what happens in that moment? It says that Abraham fell asleep. And while he fell asleep, a big black pot, smoldering pot, and a flame that was like fire, walked through the blood. What in the world did that mean? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All these other gods that you've come into contact, Abraham, with, come in contact with Abraham, has desired and wanted blood from you. And if you ever screwed up, your life was on the line. All these other gods, all these other kings, all these other nations, if you screwed up, if you messed up the covenant, your blood was mine. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit shows up in this moment and says, we ain't like other gods, we ain't like other kings, and we ain't like anything that you ever encountered Everyone else and everything that you see and every false god and every king puts a burden on you. But we want you to know our burden is light. We'll carry the yoke. And from Abraham we see the picture of the covenant was always Jesus standing in our place to show us who we really are. His burden is light. Jesus is carrying the yoke. Whose blood was shed on the cross? Was it yours? Was it mine? No. It was Christ's. Christ's blood was shed at the cross. That's why he said at the Last Supper, this is the blood of my new covenant. His blood was bringing us to the picture of our real identity. We now live in freedom and in grace and in truth. Every, every other false god, every other kingdom, every, everything else demands that you live in debt to them. Even to the point of giving your own blood or giving your own sons and daughters. But the true God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they took care of us because of their love. 
Abraham had another encounter with the father when they finally have a son. They name him Isaac. He's the apple of Abraham and Sarah's eye. And then God shows up one day and says, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. Okay. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's head? But at the same time, you read that passage of scripture and like Abraham willingly does it. Like he takes his son to sacrifice him. And you have to start thinking about it. Why would Abraham do this? Because every other God that Abraham had served demanded the firstborn. Demanded that you sacrifice the firstborn. When God showed up and announced himself to Abram, eventually Abraham, he, it was the most high. He was the most high God. Well, there was other gods called the most high. And normally it was out of all the gods that those people served at that time, whoever they picked to be their highest one, the one they served the most, that's the one they called the most high. So when the most high shows up, Abraham's just like, okay, well, this is the most important one in my life. And he's telling me I need to go, so I need to go. And so God keeps working with him, and, he's, and God's trying to show him, I'm not like everyone else. So now he brings one more uh, parable to him. He brings one more, one more object lesson to him. He's like, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, okay, every other most high God has asked me to do this, so I'm going to take, take my son Isaac to do this. And so as they're on their way to sacrifice Isaac, something happens. They're on the third day of their trip, and Abraham looks up and, and, and looks towards the mountain that they're going to. And it's really interesting because the word there, look up, means more than just to look in the distance. It actually means to look into the future. So God was actually showing Abraham in that moment, I'm not like all these other gods. And I'm going to show you something. And Abraham has an encounter, and he looks at the people traveling with him, and he says, you guys stay here. Me and the boy will go up, and we will return to you. Oh, now there's, now there's faith, something stirring inside of Abraham. He's seeing the Father for who he really is, and then something's awakening. And so they get up there, and even Isaac's like, what's going on? Where's the ram? And Abraham says, God will what? Provide. So here's Abraham being asked to do what every other God has asked him to do, and he's getting ready to, to slay his son. But he's had an encounter with the Father, and he knows something's coming, and the next thing you know... His hand is stopped, and there's a ram in the bushes. God shows up and says, I'm not like all these other people that have put debt, all these other kings that have put shame, all these other false gods that have demanded blood from you. Abraham, you're my friend. I want relationship with you. You're my son. I want relationship with you. I don't demand your firstborn son. I don't demand your blood. I did, what I want from you is relationship. Constantly, Father was constantly showing up in these little places trying to, to grab our attention and show us. Uh, everything else demands your blood, your sacrifice, your sweat, your tears, your debt. There's a debt on you that you have to pay, but that's not who I am. I paid the debt. My son did. It says that before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. Even before any of this started, Jesus already took care of it. 
Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, check out our webpage. It's wearehopecommunity.com. Peruse some of the things that we got going on there. There's a blog, some more media. Um, there's a place to give if you would like to. Um, you can check out some other services that we have got. Um, but more importantly, we'd love to hear from you. And there's a place where you can just write a question, shoot us an email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, you can connect to us, connect with us through those as well. But thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember that you are valuable beyond measure. <laughs>